With the first selection of the 2019 MLB Draft, the Baltimore Orioles select Adley Rutschman. Yeah! I'm Paul Valley, and this is a payoff pitch on Fanimal Radio, presented by DNL Window Tinting. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. And joining me today is Adam McInturf, the Assistant Director of Pro Scouting Content over at 2080 Baseball. Adam, thanks for joining us today. How are you, man? I'm good. Happy to be here. Exciting well, time of the year. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you. And it's one of the few exciting times of the year for a bad baseball team like the Baltimore Orioles. But... They got their man. They got Adley Rutschman with the first pick in the draft this year, the switch-hitting uh, defensive stalwart out of uh, Oregon State University, switch-hitting catcher. Uh, what can you tell us about Adley Rutschman? Because fans are excited, and I think they want to know everything they can know about him. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot of reason to be excited. I know uh, we're going to talk about some other guys here, too. There's been you know a lot said and a lot made of Adley Rutschman, as, as there should be. Um, we're talking about a generational draft talent uh, at catcher. To be honest, his track record as an amateur is one of the best uh, in a long time at that position. I think you have to go back to names like Weeders and Posey and Maurer for catching prospects with this type of uh, upside and perception at the time of the draft. He's, he's the rare 1-1 pick that kind of maintained that crown throughout the entire draft cycle, and there hasn't really been a 1-1 pick like that uh, for a few years. And I think the reason why is because of simply how dominant he has been at the amateur level on both sides of the ball. Um, it's impact tools. It's an impact bat at a valuable defensive position uh, with makeup and leadership and pitch calling and really a lot of the intangible qualities that you look for in a catcher as well. So there, there's definitely been, you know, very lofty praise, I'm sure you know, as everyone's heard, um, and things that might sound like hyperbole, but they really aren't when, when it comes to this guy. He's, he's the whole package. Um, He's a true 1-1 pick, what you hope for at the top of the draft. And uh, it seems pretty fateful that year one of a full-scale rebuild like what's going on in Baltimore just happened to coincide with this type of talent. So this is a very exciting day for the organization, I think. Well, and when, when the draft uh, was about to get underway, a lot of people were listening to 105.7 The Fan here in Baltimore, and they heard Rob Long talking about how he heard from a couple of reliable scouts that the Orioles got an MRI on Adley Rutschman's shoulder and that it didn't come back necessarily clean, and they were going to end up passing on him. Obviously, they didn't pass on him, but can you speak to anything about his shoulder? Have you heard anything that could make people worry? Because up until then, I hadn't heard anything about any kind of shoulder issue for Rutschman. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think there's, there's always um, some smoke thrown out there uh, close to the draft. Not to say the shoulder's not true. I, I, I just mean more smoke screens in terms of are they or aren't they going to take Rutschman. I think this was their guy all the way. Um, it just in just in my opinion, I don't think it ever got particularly close. I mean, I'm sure I, it with 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 the slot, it's 8.42 million there with the first pick. Um, I don't know if all of that's going to Rushman. It's understandable that you you know the the temptation to move that around is there, but I think at the end of the day, uh, the gap between this guy and the rest of the talent, just in terms of what he's done, what he's proved, and what the upside is just made it too much to pass down, even if he is commanding the majority of that slot. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with you there. And now what fans really want to know is how long till we see Rutschman in Baltimore? That's a good question. I mean, this is really one of those guys, you know, I'd say if, if, if Joey Bart hadn't run into some early season injury troubles, he, he's a college catcher that went in the top five picks last year. 
I think he's a good precedent to follow. I mean, every team's player development works differently. Every team's needs are different. But in general, I think you can look at the precedent set by other top, top college bats and kind of how they move. So I don't think it's unreasonable to think about Rushman uh, at the end of his first summer making, you know, spending time at Delmarva, maybe Frederick. And to be honest with you, catching prospects, they take a little bit more time, but he's so polished, like, you know, in a perfect, absolutely perfect world, if health is fine and performance is there and stuff, maybe by the end of 2020, whether it's 2020 or 2021, I don't really know if it matters that much. Um, I think he gets there at one of those two junctures and he'll be there to stay whenever he is there. They're, they're definitely going to prioritize the long term with him and they're, they're not going to put him in a position uh, that he's not ready for. Well, that's what I've been hearing is that we're probably looking if possible end of 2020 but more likely the beginning of 2021 and at the beginning of 2021 you could see him uh coming up when guys like Zach Lowther and Blaine Knight and potentially Grayson Rodriguez enter the Orioles rotation so I think that he'll be coming up right around the same time as those stud arms that they have at the lower levels in the minor leagues yeah I think you raise a great point there I mean I think that though both D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez, those are high school guys, I think because of when they were drafted and where their natural progression is going to be, it's not unreasonable to think that there might be some overlap between Rushman and those two guys, whether it's in high A, whether it's in double A. Uh, I think that's a distinct possibility. And I think that's something, you know, that from a player development standpoint, you like as an organization. These, these are guys that the hope is are going to uh, make up you know, some fraction of foundational pieces of the core to come for this organization and to have them develop some rapport, especially in a pitcher catcher relationship. I, I, I imagine the Orioles value that. And that's something that they would uh, see as a bonus as these guys come through the pipeline. Definitely made taking Rutschman that much more tantalizing with those young arms coming up in the system. Uh, however, if it wasn't going to be Rutschman, I think we can all, I think it's safe to say that we can all agree uh, it was probably going to be Bobby Witt Jr. Now, the Orioles didn't take Bobby Witt Jr. Obviously, he went to the Kansas City Royals. But with the 42nd pick in the draft, the first pick in the second round, they did take a high school shortstop. He seems pretty toolsy with good upside. Gunnar Henderson. What can you tell our listeners about Gunnar Henderson? Yeah, I think this is an important part. When, when we talk about the Orioles draft this year, uh, not uh, not making it just about Rushman, I think is important. Get, getting Gunner, Gunner Henderson is a big boon for them. I think he was exciting uh, for the Orioles that he was even available at 42. Um, none of the mocks, I don't think ours at 2080, Fangraphs, MLB, Baseball America, I, I don't think that you saw any of those uh, thinking he was going to be available at 42. Uh, it's, it's 1.77 million at that slot. The fact that he was there, it makes me think that, and this is not really confirmed. This is just my own speculation. It makes me wonder maybe if that camp is looking for a little bit more than that slot. Cause I think on talent alone, I'm not sure this guy would have been there at 42. Maybe it's a function of the Orioles having a pretty big pool. I'm not sure, but either way, I think you put the finances aside and this is another high, uh, high, high upside guy that they added in the draft, probably on talent alone, a back to the first round talent. Um, he's young for the class, 17 years old. I think something that I actually didn't know, uh, until fairly recently was his two sport background. He was, uh, a star basketball player for his high school. He's six foot three left-handed hitting corner infielder kind of has the prototype shortstop third base, uh, toolkit. I think he might be a guy that you see move over to third, but play the position well as he uh, grows into a large frame. And it's a chance to be an above-average hitter with projectable power. This is a draft profile that you've seen 
I think left-handed hitting infielders of this size with power potential have been a draft profile from the prep ranks that have done pretty well in recent years. And altogether, I think you add that up with the fact that he's 17 at the time of the draft, and there's a lot to be excited about here with Gunnar Henderson. Right, and you look at where he was taken with the 42nd pick. Um, a lot of people only focus on those first-round picks. They don't care about anybody that comes after that because there's not the pomp and circumstance around them. But you look at Austin Riley for the Atlanta Braves. Now, these are not the same player. Uh, totally different positions, totally different builds. But Austin Riley, he was picked 41st in the 2015 draft. And that's a guy who's, who just ran away with Rookie of the Month honors for the month of May. He's well on his way to a Rookie of the Year uh, award this year. Uh, and he was picked 41st. So Gunnar Henderson, that could be really great value at 42. Absolutely. No, I think this is a guy, especially if he comes out and performs and continues to get stronger, grows into his body, maybe we start seeing a little bit more game power on the come as he focuses just on baseball and just natural maturity happens. This is a guy that I think pretty easily has a chance uh, for the top 10 prospects in the organization discussion right now. And certainly with a strong summer. So he's he's a he's a prospect to be excited about. And once your Yusniel Diaz, Ryan Mountcastle, Austin Hayes, once once those type of guys fully graduate off prospect lists, I think this is going to be uh, Gunnar Henderson that has a chance to be one of the hitting prospects on the high end of uh, Orioles top prospects lists down the road. Well, that's certainly exciting to hear. And you know, Mike Elias is known for great drafts. Everything he did with. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals organization, then moving over to the Houston Astros. Um, he's just he's known for this, so it's exciting to hear you say that uh, Gunner could end up being one of those top hitting prospects in the Orioles minor league system, and even make his way into the top ten to start his professional career. So, uh, what's also really exciting is to see Mike Elias and the Baltimore Orioles really focusing on that up the middle defense. As we said, they took Rutschman as, as a catcher with the first pick. They took Henderson, who is a high school shortstop, with their second pick. And then they go and they get the outfielder from Stanford, Kyle Stowers, with the 71st pick. Pretty cool moment there. They actually drafted him while he was playing against Fresno State the other night, and you actually got to see his reaction on the field, learning that he was drafted. Uh, this is a guy that, to me, he's playing center field, so he's got the speed, but he seems to me, I immediately think of Cole Calhoun in that, in that he's not, he doesn't do any one thing that's going to particularly wow you, but... When it's all said and done, you're going to look up one day, and this guy's going to have, ha have had a successful 10-year Major League career. Yeah, uh, you know, the thing with Stoward, I, I think you said that the Orioles, uh, something you mentioned, they took a run on center diamond players, and I, I agree with you, they, they certainly did. I think maybe Stowers, of the guys they took starting with him and then running through Watson, Ortiz, and Hernays, uh, I think he might be the most likely to wind up on a corner even though it's a corner outfield spot, it might not be first base. But yeah, certainly a special moment to see uh, that he had the opportunity to hear that he was getting drafted while playing a game. I, I know there, there was some novelty there, and that, that was a nice moment for everybody. Um, this, this was a guy that was getting looks for the top 50 picks, I think, heading into the spring after a big uh, Cape Cod League in the summer. He struggled a bit in the early goings with Stanford this year in his junior year, but he busted out of that slump. And he slashed 336, 388, 569 in Pac-12 play. So I think coming on strong at the end of the year uh, secured his draft status a little bit, even if he fell just a slide from, I think, where some teams may have had him entering the spring. Um, he's a left-handed hitter, six foot three, uh, left-handed hitting outfielder. Like I said, probably moves to a corner, but he's got power potential. 
He's got a little bit of an uh, unorthodox upright stance with a low handset, and there's some length uh, to his swing path. I think that's part of the reason that you saw uh, some fluctuations in his performance this spring. He's got hitting tools. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, the new player development regime with Baltimore, they kind of make some tweaks there. And you might see him working with a little bit of a different stance and setup at the pro level. But absolutely, I think like like you said, this is a guy that has a chance, you know, the best case ceiling. This is a pretty standard left-handed hitting corner outfield profile with a chance to hit for enough power to get there and carve out a major league role. So that that's definitely the hope that the Orioles have. And they liked his hitting tools. Uh, now, does he have any kind of speed that we can that we can speak of? Because you see a guy who, you know, projects. You say he's going to end up being in a corner outfield spot, but uh, right now he's a center fielder. Although he only played center field this in his last season at Stanford, uh, does he have any kind of speed profile that we can look forward to? Maybe see him swipe a couple bags. I think you'd see him swipe a couple of bags. Like he's six three. He's not a thick bodied you know clogger. Like he he can move for a bigger guy. But if, if, if you're looking for a speedy outfielder, I think the guy they took, uh, number 79 overall with their next pick, Zach Watson, is probably more your traditional uh, center field runner, defender, et cetera, like, like you're talking about. All right, sounds good. Well, hey, we're going to get into Zach Watson here in just a moment. For, for now, though, we're going to get a word from our sponsor. And then when we come back, we'll have more with Adam McInturf, and he will tell us about Zach Watson, who the Orioles took out of LSU at number 79. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. I'm Paul Valley, and again with me today is Adam McInturf, the Assistant Scouting Director of uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, the Assistant Director of Pro Scouting Content over at 2080 Baseball. Uh, he just gave us a really nice rundown of the Orioles' first three picks in the draft this year, gave us reason to be pretty excited about their prospects coming up and moving forward. Uh, now we have three other players he's going to tell us a little bit about. Uh, first, the outfielder out of LSU, Zach Watson, who was taken number 79 in the draft by the Orioles. What can you tell us about Zach? Yeah, uh, third round, 79th overall pick. Uh, starting with Watson, starting at this phase in the draft through the middle rounds, uh, the Orioles began a run on center diamond players. So this, that, that means guys that are probably going to wind up at catcher, shortstop, center field uh, at, at, at the pro level. Zach, Zach Watson um, profiling in center, he's played a big role at LSU and national level programs since stepping on campus as a freshman, uh, hits hit over 300 every year in the sec. And that definitely carries some cachet. I think that's one of the conferences where if you perform, that does say something about your game. Um, this guy is a speedy, like I said, speedy center fielder, uh, plus defensive outfielder. His best tools are probably his wheels and defensive ability in the grass. But he's got some sneaky power. He's, he, he's a good athlete. He's got some wiry twitch to his body, and that means he's able to whip the bat through the zone. There's hard contact. I think it's a little bit more of a linear swing. It might wind up playing for occasional home run power, maybe more to the gaps, more for doubles at the pro level. 
But that certainly doesn't mean, you know, we're, we're in an age where guys that hit the ball hard learn to lift and grow into some power. I think there's a chance in the absolute best case scenario this guy's enough offensive impact to maybe be a, you know, that low end everyday type outfielder. I think uh, if not that, though, he certainly has a very high floor. His speed, defense, and ability to find the barrel uh, as, as, as a role player, fourth outfielder. So a, a very nice pick here um, and a proven performer. From, from a big conference, and those those guys tend to get to the big leagues and can move pretty quickly through a system. Yeah, LSU, always a big baseball school year in and year out. Uh, what I like about Watson is that he's rated as a number two defensive collegiate outfielder coming out of the draft, uh, and we know that speed and defense in the outfield plays at the major league level, so he'll probably find himself a role if he can even be adequate with the bat. Am I right? Absolutely, and and, and I, I didn't mean to sell him short there. I I, I think the uh, the the tools to hit and the chance to hit and grow into that type of offensive impact absolutely are there. Um, this this is a guy I think the likes of which probably this guy and at least in my mind Ryan McKenna are probably the two best defensive outfielders in the system. But it but it says a lot about Watson what a good defender he is that uh, he already joins the likes of Ryan McKenna, one of the better prospects in the organization already at Double A in that conversation for best defensive outfielder. Now, I have heard um, varying reports about Watson's arm, uh, that it's not the strongest, not what you would potentially like coming from the outfield. What can you tell us about his arm strength? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, it's not great, but there's plenty of examples, especially in center field, of guys that can compensate for that value with their legs, just be it with their range and routes. Um, I don't think it's a it's, – it's, it's not a real weakness. I, I just don't think Watson's arm – uh, is is really a, a strength. I, I think he's a guy that's going to make up the value with uh, his ability to cover ground out there, and I think it's an accurate arm that can at least hit cutoffs. Uh, you're not going to see that being a huge issue. And I also think just, you know, if we're going to speculate a few years forward, two things are true. One, I think you see examples of guys improving their arm strength at the pro level, position players, I mean, with real emphasis on that. I think Mount Castle's a guy that we've seen do that even in the Orioles system. And two... More importantly, I, I, you know, I, I personally just don't think that arm strength, as long as it's not like a, a 20 or 30 grade tool, you can kind of get away with that in center field, especially in Camden Yards, a uh, little bit of a smaller ballpark there. All right. And, you know, watching the Orioles and watching Dwight Smith and DJ Stewart and Joey Bricker before he got set, set down, miss cutoff men. Uh, just seeing a guy be able to hit a cutoff man in the chest and make the fundamental plays is something I think the Orioles fans can look forward to, and it's such a basic thing, but it's important for the game. Yeah, and I I, I think that's that's the type of uh, the type of fundamental, the, the the type of polish that a guy like Watson's going to bring. I think a lot of the time uh, that's that's some of the the extra value maybe of these major school performers, these big conference guys, and these guys with track record is is, is their polish and their readiness in those smaller aspects. Right. And with this team, like we said, there's, they stayed completely up the middle with, I think, most of their first 10 picks this year. Uh, the next guy that they got out of New Mexico State, Joey Ortiz, a glove first shortstop, uh, glove, the defense is ahead of the bat. A lot of analysts seem to think that he'll have a big league career just because of that glove. Yeah, uh, this, this is a guy, I, I think the, the two next picks they took and the two more guys we're going to talk about, both Ortiz and Ernaiz, um, these are shortstops from uh, the West Texas or Four Corners area. Ortiz from New Mexico. You said New Mexico State. Um, 
Love leads the profile. This is this is a guy that the, uh, the Orioles were very excited about. I think he there was a little bit. Uh, this guy wasn't as known. This was their first kind of off the board pick a little bit. Uh, they they vetted his Love work extensively before the draft, and they're really enthused for what he can do on defense. Um, he's got a track record of performing at the college level. He's put up big numbers. I think it's important to note that his conference and especially his home ballpark, the altitude they play at, it's very hitter friendly. So that means maybe the power is a bit of a mirage, but his ability to bring the bat to the ball is going to play anywhere. So this is a guy that is above average to plus defensive tools in the infield with the ability to make contact, make things happen offensively. Um, maybe that guy winds up an everyday guy, but if, if short of that, these types of players, when you describe them that way, have a way of uh, hanging around at, 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 at the upper levels. And definitely, like you said, I think there's reason to prognosticate uh, Joey Ortiz having a pretty good career. Right, and you know, I didn't mean to sell his offensive game short. I think he did hit over 400 this year with over uh, over a thousand OPS. Um, but like you said, the conference he plays and the altitude that he plays at, I think that that could be a bit of a mirage, like you said. So certainly don't want to sell him short. He had a he had a nice collegiate career, but that glove is really highly lauded. Yeah, I, I I just think when you're playing both at that altitude, but at that size of school, like this is a, actually a good conversation point. The difference maybe between evaluating a Zach Watson at LSU in the SEC versus a Joey Ortiz, you have to kind of take some of those factors into consideration. So it's certainly, it's not Ortiz's fault that he played in a smaller conference and he did what a pro player should, which is dominate uh, at, at that level, at that mid-major, at that mid-major level. But yeah, I, I, I think what's more likely when you talk to scouts and talking to people in the organization, they see a love first guy that's going to make contact and make things happen, put the ball in play. Right, right. And, you know, we got one other guy to talk about. You seem pretty excited about him. And uh, he's another shortstop. And as Earl Weaver said, draft only shortstops because they're the most athletic people on yeah. the field. Uh, and this guy, Daryl Hernandez, uh, he's a high upside high school shortstop. You posted a video of him on Twitter the other day. Uh, is this somebody that the Orioles should be excited about? Because it seems like you're pretty intrigued by him. Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by him. Uh, this is kind of a breakout player that the O's were on. Great job uh, by the area scout down there. Um, he had late helium, and he was Ernais was kind of on the workout circuit before the draft. He was flying around uh, for numerous teams, numerous major league cities. The Orioles were on his list. Uh, he's an athletic shortstop with burgeoning size and two-way tools on both sides of the ball. That's I think six one, one hundred and eighty. Uh, fairly good athlete with twitch throughout his frame. He's young for the class. Another thing you're going to find, I think this is a. This is a hallmark of the uh, of, of the, the new regime. You see the past the past drafts they've had. They target uh, younger prep players and younger prep players up the middle. That's a demographic that tends to age pretty well into pro ball, and Ernest kind of fits that mold. That also gives you reason to think that there might be some more projection with him. I think he might just be scratching the surface uh, for the type of player he's going to be. Still 17 years old and getting stronger. He's got bat speed and some sneaky power. Uh, there's offensive upside with a chance to stay up the middle at shortstop, and I think you put that together. There might not be one tool that blows you away, but you have a chance for five average or better major league tools. That's, that's, that's a solid player. I think another thing that intrigues me about him, uh, you know, the longer that I evaluate players a few years into this now, something that really seems to correlate, especially with hitters, is having bloodlines. And this is a guy whose father was a professional baseball player, played in the minor leagues, 
Um, I think this is kind of a projection play. This is a guy that was not a fifth-round talent on, on everyone's board, but I'm excited about him uh, because this is a guy that I know the organization uh, was pretty high on. And even though they're going off the board, I think this is one of the more creative picks they had, and I'm excited to see what's in store for Daryl or Nays. Well, I'm excited to see what's in store for all of these guys. They are. Uh, it seems like the Orioles got a nice crop of young talent with, with this draft, at least in those first uh, six picks. We all know that they have uh, rounds 11 through 40 today, uh, kind of you know just rattling off names while uh, picking these last picks. But definitely a, a nice group of young athletes who are going to you know bring a bit of infusion of talent and you know, desire into this organization. I'm just really excited to see what's going to happen with the Orioles and these draft picks moving forward. Uh, Adam, great stuff as always. Really appreciate you joining the show today. And uh, hopefully we can get you back on once these guys start their pro careers uh, and you can give us a little bit more and an update on how they're doing at the minor league levels. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to seeing them. They're kind of crossing over to my side of things now uh, once they get up into minor leagues and pro ball. So I'll, I'll be looking forward to seeing them in the Gulf Coast League and short season for sure. Should be good. Sounds good, man. Thanks for joining the show. We'll talk to you later, all right? Take care. Thanks. And that's going to do it for the payoff pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. I'm Paul Valley. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next week. Have a good one.